0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And I'll be reading this morning from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them.
1: Lord, I pray now that you would bless this preaching of your word. Lord, I need strength to speak what you want me to say. We all, starting with this preacher, need help to apply and obey what you say. Enable us this morning as a church to be those who hear the word and do the word through the power of the word and to the glory of the word made flesh. Amen. Amen. I think it goes without saying that as a nation, we love stories of the self-made man. And in case you are a news junkie of sorts like me, I would argue that the Republican presidential primaries are no exception to this rule. Because it seems that every candidate wants to convince us that their story is this paradigm of the American dream. That hard work and sacrifice lead to achievement. So, one tells us that his mom worked as a maid, a cashier, and a stock clerk while his dad was a bartender. Another says his mom was the first to go to college and that his dad started a small business in the oil and gas industry. Still another boasts that he's made millions in real estate. Okay, and whether or not you like any of those people or know the names of the folks I just described there's a common theme here. There's a common theme to this sort of posturing. It's that every one of them wants us to believe that their story is our story. They want us to believe that they are who they are and we can be who we are and we are who we are not because of the cards life has dealt us, but because of the way we've played them. We like to think that the future lies in our hands, that, that we're in control and that we can become whoever we want to be with enough hard work and a little luck. Because in one way or another, friends, every one of us wants to be captain of our fate and master of our soul. It's flattering, it's, it's motivating, it's thrilling. That is, until we find ourselves flat on our back, wondering how our life became such a mess and where we jumped off the train to a comfortable middle-class existence. But if that's happened to you, you don't need to be afraid. Because we love comeback stories. With just a little extra hard work, And a refusal to take no from all the haters for an answer. You too can, quote, turn lemons into lemonade and write the next bestseller. All you need to do is be positive, to believe in yourself, to not give up. And, you know, it wouldn't hurt to say a prayer to the man upstairs just to see if he could move some of these little obstacles out of the way of a conquering, triumphant, victorious, onward and upward life. If you take one step at a time, you too can rejoin the ranks of the self made American man. Now, in case you heard more than a twinge of skepticism in everything I just said, (laughs) let me tell you something that's true. Okay? Diligence matters. Does. What what does Proverbs say? 10.4 A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That's true. But something else is also true. Alright? And it's this. That the American success story could not be more different than the testimony of every follower of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? I say for this reason, there is no such thing as a self-made Christian. There's not. You won't find one. I'm not one. And nor are you. We are God's workmanship from beginning to end. And that's the entire point of the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 2. If you're a Christian, he has news for you. All that you are and all that you have is a gift from the hand of God. You are not who you are because of your personal merit. You are not who you are because of what you've done. You are who you are because God has been exceedingly gracious to you. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? There's there's no such thing as a self-made Christian, friends. We are God's workmanship from beginning to end. And in these verses, particularly verses 4 through 10 of Ephesians 2, The Apostle Paul gives us four reasons why that's the case, why there is no such thing as a self-made Christian, why we are God's workmanship from beginning to end. And if you take these reasons together, we're going to walk through four of them this morning. If If you take them together, here's what they're all designed to get done, okay? These are things are designed, these reasons are designed, these truths are intended to make us grateful, humble, and faithful. That's the goal, all right? So why are we not as self-made Christians? Why is there no such thing? Reason number one, because God is the source of our salvation. That's the first reason. Last week when Chris preached from verses 1 to 3 of this chapter, we were left with a devastating answer to the question, who am I? Right? Right? Left to ourselves, we are dead in sin, enslaved to the devil, addicted to sensual pleasure, captive to our will, and as a result of that, objects of the wholly justified and intensely personal wrath of God. That's a That's a. Devastating indictment. You will never hear more sobering words from a human judge in your life. And in verse 5, Paul, Paul summarizes the spiritual condition with this phrase, okay? We are dead in trespasses. Translation, we have no ability to obey God's law. No desire to surrender our will to his own. No power to endure the cost of of following him. And most frightening of all, we don't even realize it, right? We don't even realize it. Stable income, nice house, quasi-obedient kids, fun weekends, annual vacations. I mean, isn't that the life we want? That's all we want. Well, friend, it may be all you want, but it's not all you were made to be. You can have all those things, all those things, and a thousand more, and still be spiritually cold and dead on the inside. Numb to the things of God. Cold to the truth of God. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Feel, feel the weight of Jesus' words there. Okay, God is saying to you in no uncertain terms that the most important thing about you is your soul, the condition of your heart, and that a day is coming when King Jesus is going to review point by point Every word you spoke, every thought that crossed your mind, every action you took, and if at even one point you do not completely resemble the infinite moral purity of God, you will be justly condemned for your sin. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the bad news, dead in Trespasses. That's who we are, friends, both now and for all eternity. Except for two little words in verse 4. Two little words. Look at verse 4. Here we go. But God... But God, those two words mean that there's another story besides your story. It's God's story. And those two words and all that falls out of them in verses 5 and 6 tell us that God's story has intersected and invaded our story. So that our story, after the intervention of God, no longer resembles what it once was. But what God made us to be. Okay? His story invades our story. But God. And it invades our story for two reasons. First, because he is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Look back at verse 4. What does Paul say? But God, being rich in mercy. I love that. Why do I love that? Because it doesn't just say that God, you know, occasionally is merciful. Or that God puts on mercy. Or that God tries mercy. Or that God dabbles from time to time in mercy. No, what does it say? God is merciful. That's identity language. That's not, what shall I wear today? Maybe it will be mercy. That's who He is. Exodus 34. When the Lord proclaims His name to Moses. What's he say? Remember to proclaim proclaim your name in Jewish culture isn't just to say, hi, this is my label. No, it's to say, hi, this is who I am. What does he say to Moses? What's his identity? The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, a God, what? What's the very first thing God is going to say as he reveals himself to man? A God merciful gracious I wonder what the very first thing you would say to someone if they said who are you think about how many times somebody's come to me hey who are you oh, I'm Matthew I'm pastor I'm married I have kids I don't know what you'd say you go up to God you know what he says I am merciful that's the first reason his story intersects ours. But that's not all. He's also a loving God. He doesn't just feel compassion and pity toward those who are suffering calamity as a result of sin. He's a loving God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. By the way, that's also the second thing that God tells Moses. Moses. The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, just think about that. Our love isn't like that, right? I mean, our our love is flippant. Our love is fragile. Our, our love comes and goes based on the latest text message we received. God's love isn't like that. It's a covenant love. It's a committed love. A love that finds its source in... In the character of the lover, not the character of the beloved. Okay? Notice when Paul says God loved us, verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. mind you, that's not a passive deadness. That's not like I'm spiritually comatose and not doing anything. Well, no, we are doing something. We're actively, deliberately, and willingly opposed to God, living in the passions of our flesh and following all the desires of our mind. And it's at that moment, at that point, that God says, I love you. I love you. And his heart heart overflows with mercy and love towards you. What does that mean? Well, Christian, it means that God, particularly God's heart, is the source of our salvation. That's what it means. So, So consider this, okay? If God loved you at your worst, if God's heart overflowed in compassion in your darkest hour, why would you doubt God's love for you today? Why would you do that? In the midst of whatever difficulty you're facing. He, he doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. He's the source of our salvation. Our, the source of our salvation isn't, isn't our love for God. It's God's love for us. Salvation doesn't originate in the heart of man, but in the heart of God. Okay, that's the first reason why there, there's no such thing. A self-made Christian. Salvation finds its source, its origin in God. Amen? Here's the second reason. Second reason. God is the source of our salvation. Second reason. No such thing as a self-made Christian. God's grace is the basis of our salvation. God's the source. It's almost like we're building a house, right? All the materials for the construction site come from God. He's the source. Well, what's the basis? What's the foundation? It's grace. Grace, all right? Listen again to what God does because he's merciful and loving. Verse 4. We can't read this too many times. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Have you ever been telling a story to somebody and you're just so excited you keep interrupting yourself? But I do that, wow, I'm weird. Okay, well, I do that all the time. I'll start a sentence, talking to Elise, and then just like, cold stop, new sentence, off we go, and no punctuation. You know, little kids are like that too. I guess I never really grew up, you know? Um, They just start talking and, hey, daddy, but guess what? Oh, and by the way, you know, it's just on and on and on, no period. Well, it's as if Paul's pulling one of those here. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved! (laughs) I mean, he's about to give three things that God's done for us in Christ. Made us alive with Christ, raised us with Christ, seated us with Christ, and after the first, he can't hold it in any longer. It's got to come out. What is it? By grace you've been saved. To speak of God's grace is to speak of his unmerited favor. That's what it means. By definition, grace is a gift. It's not a reward. It's not merited. Otherwise, it would be a reward. But it's not. It's unmerited. And so it's a gift in the form of divine favor and blessing. And it means that if you're a Christian, God has given you something that you do not deserve and could never earn. Well, what's that? Well, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but here's how Paul wants us to think of it. What what has God given us that we could not earn and could never deserve? Here's what he's done. He has done for us everything he did for Christ. That's grace. To receive God's grace is to experience, in a spiritual sense, everything that the Son of God experienced in a physical sense. His story is a picture of your spiritual encounter with God. So what what has God done for Jesus that he's graciously done for us? Well, first, he's made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ. The the power that breathed life into Jesus' physical body three days after he died is the same power that breathes life into our dead hearts spiritually the moment we're saved. That's what the Bible calls the miracle of regeneration. Don't be scared by the big word. It simply says you have been made alive, regenerated, made alive. And it's that making alive that enables us to see our sin for what it is, the evil that it is, and turn from it in repentance. It's that being made alive that enables us to see Jesus for who he is. And trust his his perfect life, his substitutionary death, for the forgiveness of our sins to make us right with God. It's it's that being made alive that causes us to long to know God, right? To serve God, to love Him with all our heart in a way we never could before. It's why Jesus says in John three that becoming a Christian is literally being born again. It's it's that decisive that transforming it's that significant you're made alive with Christ here's the second thing God made Christ alive and he makes us alive you've been raised with Christ you've been raised with Christ made alive you've been raised when Paul says listen by grace you have been saved he's speaking of a past action with present consequences in other words it's not like God, zaps you with some sort of spiritual AED and then just kind of moves on to the next person and you're just sort of left like, "Ah, ah, ah, ah," you know, just breathing weakly on the operating table. (laughs) You know? I'm alive, I think. No. No, he he makes us alive. And then what does he do? He raises us up with Christ. Raises you up with Christ. There's nothing weak or trembling or wheezing or faint-hearted or, you know, occasionally flatlining about the resurrection life of Christ. Therefore, there is nothing weak or faint-hearted or lacking or flagging about the spiritual newness of life God has given you. That's what he's saying. You're a new creation. Sin and death have no more dominion over you. The power that filled Jesus when he walked out of that tomb is living in you right now through the Holy Spirit. So let me draw out a couple implications of this. You've been raised with Christ, all right? Here's what this means. It means that the choice before you this week, if you're a Christian, please hear me on this, is not what kind of person you're going to be. Why do I say that? Because if you're a Christian, who you are has already been decided. Okay? You are a new creation. Your spiritual identity isn't something that you gain on a good week and then have to return to the bank on a bad week. It's a gift of grace that God gives you by virtue of raising you up with Christ. Okay, which means the Christian life isn't about learning to be someone we're not. It's about learning to be who we already are in Jesus. All right, big difference. And so the challenge before us this week is simply this. Will you be who you are in Christ? Christ. Will you live out? Will you exercise the spiritual identity and power God has already placed in you? And here's the good news, all right? There's not one spiritual temptation to sin or power of evil that will confront you, that will punch you in the face this week, that holds a candle to the resurrection power of God. Not one. Not one. Why do I say that? Well, it's because He didn't just make you alive. And he didn't just raise you with Christ. He seated you with Christ. Into heavenly places. Now some of you are thinking, I thought I was sitting in this room, Matthew. Listening to you. Well you are. Please continue. He's saying that in a spiritual sense. That we, by the grace of God, right now as Christians. We're not waiting for this. Right now we share in the authority and power of King Jesus. Just think about that. He doesn't make us Jesus in terms of our essence, but he invites us to occupy, to enjoy, to share the same sort of spiritual authority and power that Christ has right now. that's that's incredible, okay? That means, again, this is all because grace is the basis of our salvation. It means that you're not going to face a temptation this week where you're the underdog. You're you're not going to be opposed by evil this week where you're the one-point favorite, okay? Why not? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So don't begin this week fearful of how you'll stumble and fall. Begin this week confident that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. All right? We've been made alive with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and that means our salvation has nothing to do with what we do for God and everything to do with what God does for us. That means it's an expression of his grace. All of that, being raised, being made alive, being seated, it's all what we do not deserve. It's all of grace. It's the basis of our salvation. All right? Here's the third reason why there's no such thing as a self-made Christian. All right? First reason, God's the source of our salvation. He brings in all the construction materials. All right? He's the basis of our salvation. Grace is the foundation on which it's all built. Okay? Here's the third faith is the means of our salvation god is the source grace is the basis faith is the means it's like the walls going up all right if you're going to memorize one bible verse this year i've got a recommendation it's called ephesians 2 8 look at it it's the gospel in a sentence for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How is it, friend, that you and I come to experience spiritually everything that God did for Christ physically? How is that? How does that happen? What's the means by which that is achieved? Does God just sort of, hey, cool, wand in my pocket. No, no, there's a means, an instrument through which all that Christ experienced becomes your experience. It's called the gift of faith. And faith is one of those religious words that all kinds of people throw around all over the place without a clue what it means. So we're not going to leave this morning with that problem. All right. When Paul speaks about faith, he's not talking about being a spiritual person. Just some sort of generic experience. Oh yeah, I'm a person of faith. Nor is he talking right, about somehow choosing to believe something when you don't have a single good reason to do so. That's not faith. That's being stupid. <laughs> okay? When Paul talks about faith, he's talking about informed Reliance. Informed reliance. Reasonable trust. A posture of utter and complete dependence by which we look to God to be and do for us what we cannot be and do for ourselves. That's faith. And it's important because this saving grace of God Isn't something that we experience universally, automatically, or unknowingly? It requires trust, which means it requires that we do two things at the same time. One, we abandon all hope of saving ourselves, and we locate, we relocate all that hope in Christ to save us. It's called repentance and faith. It's the means by which God does for us all that he has done in Christ. But lest we turn, please hear this, lest we turn that faith into some sort of meritorious key that unlocks the treasure house of God's grace, I still brought the key, had it in my pocket. Look at my key. (laughs) Lest we do that, Paul literally says, what does he say? And this, salvation by grace through faith, is not of you. Of God is the gift. If you translate it literally, that's the word order. And this, salvation by grace through faith, is not of you. Of God is the gift. Of God is the gift. Friends, there's a strong warning here for us, and it's this that we would succumb to believing and thinking that we can achieve acceptance from God through obedience to God. That's the warning. You cannot achieve acceptance from God through obedience to God. That's a work. And it's not a work. It's a gift. It's a gift. And... I'll say it again, Myra. You cannot achieve acceptance from God through obedience to God. That's a work. Our salvation isn't a work, it's a gift. It's a gift. And one of the most important reasons why that's the case is that God is jealous for His glory. He is jealous for his glory. We skipped over verse 7, but we can't. Look back at that. Paul says, verse 7, Why does God do all this for us? So that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. What's that? That's God's purpose statement, all right? The one thing that God is committed to more than anything else in the entire universe is the exaltation of his glory. That's the one thing God's committed to more than anything else in the universe. And if you're sitting there and you think, Matthew, that strikes me as a bit arrogant. Well, let me tell you why it's not. Because there is no one and nothing in the universe more glorious than God. For you and I to pretend that we are is the height of arrogance. For God to declare that he is, is the essence of sanity. It's true. It's true. So here's what that means. Here's what it means that our salvation is through faith. It means, the words of our friend Jerry Bridges, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Every day of our Christian experience should be a day of relating to God on the basis of His grace alone. Okay? So listen to me. Listen. To the degree we believe that somehow we are more accepted on our good days and less accepted on our bad days, or think that somehow we can qualify or disqualify ourselves to receive God's grace in Christ, we are not simply believing a lie. We are robbing God of glory. That's what's at stake here. Who is going to be glorified for your salvation? You or God? And when you realize that it's God who must be glorified and God who will be glorified because your salvation is, does not come from you doing something from your, for yourself, but from you trusting Jesus to do for you through his life that he lived for you, through his death that he died for you, to be and do for you what you could never be and do for yourself. When you realize that, that it's by faith, then you know that all that we are and all that we have is a gift of God's grace. There's freedom in that, friends. That There's freedom in knowing that no matter what, today or tomorrow or this week people say about you or you say about yourself that god's love and acceptance for you are not going to change not going to change by grace alone through faith alone for the glory of god alone wasn't just this kind of tagline for the protestant reformation it's the secret to enduring joy and peace in the christian life that's what it is the most joyful christians are the ones who remind themselves every day that faith, not works, is the means of our salvation. There's a relationship between the strength of our faith and the gladness of our joy. Faith is the means of our salvation, not our works. And that's the third reason why there's no such thing as a self-made Christian. Here's the last one. Reason four. God is the source of our salvation. Brings in the materials. Grace is the basis of our salvation. It's the foundation. Faith is the means of our salvation. It's the walls going up. And here's the roof, if you're tracking with a picture. Okay? Good works are the goal of our salvation. God is the source. Grace is the basis, faith is the means, good works are the goal. And there are those today who would conclude from the fact that we are saved by grace and through faith that it doesn't really matter whether or not we obey God. And if you've heard that, or if you've thought that, I want you to listen very carefully to me right now. There are Christians and churches out there who would say that. That if, because salvation is by grace through faith, honestly, it doesn't really matter whether you obey or disobey God. I mean, maybe part of you says, well, my gut tells me it should, but, but really, why? I mean, honestly, if it's, if it's all by grace through faith, well then, why does it matter what I do? Well, hear this. Being saved for good works is not the same thing as being saved by good works. Big difference. Being saved for good works is not the same thing as being saved by good works. The former is biblical. The latter is not. But we have to take care that we don't reject the former in the name of rejecting the latter, because the Bible makes clear over and over again that apart from good works, no one will be saved. There is no cheap grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, because of Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, look at the verse with me, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's that mean? It means that the entire goal of your salvation, Christian, is that you would be empowered to live the kind of life that God created you to live. That's the goal. A life of submission to King Jesus in all your thoughts and all your words and all your deeds. God empowers us to obey him. In the sense that our status doesn't change, but our ability does. He assures us in Christ that our status doesn't change, but our ability to obey does. Namely, that now we desire to obey the Lord as a Christian, and now we are able to obey the Lord as a Christian in a way that we never desired and were never able to do before we were saved. That's what he does in us. Which means you can't say you're a Christian if you're not living as a Christian. Either either your life backs up your profession, or your profession isn't genuine. And verse 10 is a sober warning that if good works of obedience are absent, then saving faith is not present. The presence of saving faith always manifests itself in the presence of good works. You can't have one without the other. But it's not just a warning, though it is. Okay, verse 10 is a tremendous spiritual encouragement. Tremendous encouragement. Why do I say that? Because good works are not just something that we're supposed to do. They're something that God created us to do. Think about that. It's, it's almost more accurate to say something that he recreated us to do. 2 right? Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. A new creation. If you're in Christ, if you've been made alive with Him and raised with Him and seated with Him, you're a new creation. That's really important to remember on days when obeying God feels like it exists somewhere between the land of impossible and difficult. Really important. Because those are the days when we need to remember that we're fighting to do the very thing God saved us to do. And we can take comfort in this. God has chosen and purposed and planned good works for you. Not one bit less than he has chosen and purposed and planned salvation for you. That's what Paul's saying. It's not as though God saves us and then just kind of cuts us loose to figure out how to follow him. You know, Hey, salvation by grace alone through faithful alone. you know there's the land of good works get her done. No, no. Friend, he purposes and chooses and plans and prepares and upholds and ordains and guides all the way home. That's what Paul's saying. The grace of God doesn't go dormant once you're saved, it brings you all the way home. Because he's prepared good works for you, he's planned them, he's purposed them specifically in every season of life we could have a whole sermon series on this but suffice it to say that the planning and the purposing and the choosing of good works for the christian isn't just true for the big things like who am i going to marry should i go on the mission trip okay it's true in all the little things, too. So, so every good work, even even seemingly insignificant things like, like cleaning the kitchen, if you're a mom, or inviting a friend to church, or leaving work 10 minutes early to get home so you can serve your wife. okay? All of those things, and a thousand more, are not just things that you're supposed to do, so get them done. They're not. They're things God prepared for us to do before we were born. That's amazing. And so when you're tempted to grow weary friend, in, in doing good, take heart in knowing that, that even the most mundane act of obedience is part of the eternal plan of God. And in, that obedience is only possible because God planned it for you and God empowers you to do it. Good works are the goal of our salvation. And so let me conclude with a word to two groups of people. To those who are weary in the battle. You hear me talk about good works and your heart just goes, I'm so tired of that. I know what I should do. I know what God's called me to do, but I'm just tired. Know this. God's preparing them for you. You're not preparing them for yourself. And the God who calls you to them is going to be faithful to empower you in them. And to the second group, those of you who have grown lazy in the battle will know this. You must walk in them. The fact that God prepares them doesn't take away the fact that we have to walk in them. If you're weary, find comfort in knowing God's prepared them. If you're lazy, hear a rebuke and a warning and an encouragement to not give up in knowing that you must walk in them. They're the goal of our salvation, friends. The truth of Ephesians 2 is that there is no such thing as a self-made Christian. We are God's workmanship from beginning to end. Remember, God is the source of our salvation. Grace is the basis of our salvation. Faith is the means and good works are the goal. And guess who gets all the glory for that? God. God does. Which is why I want us to respond by singing. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for a word from you that assures us that we approach you and relate to you and know you by grace alone. Oh, Lord, with the Apostle Paul, we say today as a church, as a family, we are grateful that we have been saved by grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would deliver us this week, next week, and the rest of our life from the ever-present temptation to sneak in our works into the house that you alone can build. Father, I pray that you would make us grateful because of your grace. I pray that you would make us humble because of your grace. And Lord, I ask that you would make us faithful because of your grace.